Welcome to another edition of Jumping Around, a steeplechase podcast from thisishorseracing.com. I'm Joe Clancy, and today we'll dive into a little history via a man named Temple Gwathmi, the National Steeplechase Foundation, and the Middleburg Spring Races. It's April, and around the American steeplechase circuit, that means one thing, action after a long winter break. Few stops on the circuit offer the mix of Middleburg. Historic Glenwood Park, which looks much like it did when it opened in 1932, hosts the Middleburg Spring Races, Saturday, April 21st, just outside of the northern Virginia town in Loudoun County. It's the 98th running of the race meet, which offers 200000 in purses, led by the $75,000 Temple Gwathmi. The Gwathmi has long been one of jump racing's most sought-after prizes. Future Hall of Famer Fairmont won it three times in the early days and led to such luminous victors as Neji, Amber Diver, Bon Nouvelle, Benguala, Zacchio, Flatterer, Lonesome Glory, and even the last two steeplechase champions, Ronak and Scorpianser. The Gwathmi was created to honor the memory of steeplechase owner James Temple Gwathmi, a prominent American businessman and sportsman. He was born in 1867 in Norfolk, Virginia, and later lived in New York. He followed his father into the cotton business and was president of the New York Cotton Exchange in 1902 and 1903. He and business partner E.M. Weld owned racehorses and campaigned under the stable name Mr. Cotton. They owned St. Jude, who won the American Grand National in 1904. Another horse, Phil May, competed in the English Grand National at Aintree in 1906. When Gwathmi died in 1924, his friends started a memorial fund and created a race in his name. The race and the fund took on even more meaning a few years later when Gwathmi's son, amateur steeplechase jockey James Temple Gwathmi Jr., was killed in a fall at the Monmouth County Hunt Races in 1932. He was just 23 years old. The race, first run in 1924 and held every year since, lives on as an important stop on the racing calendar. Through the decades, it's been run at Belmont Park and Aqueduct Racetracks in New York, the famed Rolling Rock race meet in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, and since 1989 at Middleburg. In all its moving around, the race never missed a year and will be carded for the 95th time in 2018. The Temple Gwathmi Fund carries on, too, and supports various endeavors in American steeplechasing all in memory of a man and his son who loved jump racing. In this edition of the podcast, we'll meet Temple Gwathmi's great-grandsons, Ned and Temple Grassy, talk with Charlie Fenwick about a National Steeplechase Foundation event, and check in with Doug Fout of the Middleburg Spring Races. And, in a first for jumping around, we'll even bring you an original song about Temple Gwathmi, courtesy of amateur songwriter slash poet Ned Grassy at the end of the first segment of the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the races. So we're here with Ned Grassy and Temple Grassy. They are brothers, and they are the great-grandsons, unless I've got it wrong, of Temple Gwathmi uh, Sr., and, uh, who is the namesake of the historic steeplechase race. And uh, welcome to the show, guys. And um, uh, what's it mean? We're coming up on, on another edition of the race. What's it mean to you guys to, uh, to come to April every year? Well, it's been fun. I've been uh, on, the, on the board of the Middleburg Spring Race Association for a few years now and um, enjoyed watching everything uh, come together and it's always exciting to uh, to get back up to to middleburg uh, and see the race temple here it's through ned that that uh, i've gotten involved in it we've always known about the race but since ned has expressed interest and and sort of gotten us going that that i have uh, you know obviously temple is important my real name is temple grassy but one day a year my name is Temple Gwathmi Grassy. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think um, uh, plenty of people in today's steeplechasing know the race. They don't necessarily know the people. And uh, Temple Gwathmi Sr. was an owner and, uh, you know, a major player in the game. And um, I'm, it was before your time, but do you, do you have a, you know, is there a family connection or do you remember hearing anything about any of that coming up? Go ahead, Dan. Our, um, our grandparents um, on, on that side were, um, they were up in Westbury and they certainly knew a lot of racing people, but there wasn't a whole lot of talk about the, this race per se which is sort of fascinating, but it's just true. Temple here, uh, Senior was born in Norfolk, Virginia. I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, he was educated at Brooklyn Polytechnic Institute in Brooklyn, New York. And he went into the cotton business, and he learned the business in Wilson, North Carolina, and then came to New York and became the president of the New York Cotton Exchange and was a uh, was a uh, steeplechase jockey and owner in the in the late 1800s and early uh, 1900s. The race was first run in 1924 and took on special meaning in 1933, the year after his son, Junior, was killed in a race in New Jersey. So that's basically all that I know about senior. There's some other family stuff that we know, but I don't think it pertains to this. But as far as his background and his racing, that's about it. And and Ned may want to talk about Mr. Cotton and the, the, the group he was well, involved in. We do know that he did most of his racing under the, um, under the name of Mr. Cotton. And his partner was a guy named Edward Motley Weld, who is actually related to my uh, sister's first husband. At any rate, they were both in the cotton exchange. They both ended up with stud farms in, in the Warrington area. And uh, one was Canterbury, one was North Wales. Uh, Gwathmi had Canterbury. They both raced together under, under the name Mr. Cotton. And we assume, and, and you guys might know better, that when the race was established in 24, the year that he died, that Wells put up the lion's share. That might actually have something to do with uh, the Temple Gwathmi Fund, which we can certainly include at another time. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's a great testament to him and obviously their friendship and even other people who jumped in and, and supported Basically, within a year of his death, they had a race named after him and a, and a memorial foundation, which helped fund the race and has done a lot of good in steeplechasing and in other areas. And, and the fact that they're still going is, is even you know, more amazing, really. And, and, mm-hmm. and they, were, they were pretty le- legit or major owners in the, in the day. I mean, they had, they had some of the best steeplechasers around. They actually ran a horse in the English Grand National. They won the American Grand National. And... Um, Again, I, I'm always I'm just struck by the longevity of it all for it um, uh-huh. for it to uh, for it to keep going. The fund was you know the fund was started in 1924, which is also the first year of the race, and the fact that we're still having all these things and have and even having this conversation uh, is a testament to it uh, that it right. that it's continuing. But for you guys, did you get back? Did you come back to it? Like, how did you come back to? I know you're at the races at Middleburg. The race this year is April 21st at Middleburg Spring Races, and you guys help present the trophy. But did you? When did you come back to the race or come back to uh, the connection? Well, I can pick that one up, Temple. Yeah, yeah, because Ned, so, Ned got me going. So what? Basically, what happened is that 
I had a gator on my farm in Moncton. And um, and I was asked to do jockey transport for the Grand National in Butler, <laughs> and which I enjoyed very much. And it started me off being jockey transport for a number of years. The actual year I w- would be about uh, 12 years ago, I would imagine. Okay, year. probably more. And but yeah, I got you. It could have been more. So that was fun. And I I am very much enjoyed doing it. And so one day Temple calls me up and says, I'm going to the Middleburg Spring Races. And I go, you are? I said, do you want to give the trophy away? I might be able to make that happen. And he goes, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I called up uh, Tad Zimmerman, who's been a, a steward down there forever. And, uh, and he made a phone call. And uh, they went to the race and they handed out the trophy. And then our involvement has sort of grown uh, through the years. They ended up putting me on the board, as I'd mentioned before. And um, that's how we got uh, reconnected with the race. Oh, that's great. Ellie, my wife and I moved to Washington in 1974 or five. And shortly thereafter, we were invited to the Middleburg Spring Races by a couple named Brian and Catherine Wilkins. And that it was just a social thing. And I had no idea that the race was, that the Temple Guatney was there. And so Ellie and I just went down for the day to go to the races, just like any other smoke. And all of a sudden, there's the Temple Guatney being run. And I remember hanging around the stand there, and I got a quite a feeling of, you know, the heart started to pound. It was quite an experience for me, but then I didn't do anything about it. And then Ned got us going again. So I, I had forgotten all about that, Ned, just, till just, just now. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'd oh, forgotten. Yeah. oh, sure. Oh yeah. Nice to be famous one day a year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've heard tell about this song. So you're going to have to uh, explain us a little bit about how this song works. Ned will sing it for you. <laughs> we might be able to, to include it somehow. So starting at, in Maryland, which most of my racing does start in, I was asked to write a song for the Maryland Hunt Cup, and, uh, and I did, and uh, it, was, it was well received. So I sang the song to uh, Jacqueline Orstrom after she won the Hunt Cup with uh, Professor Maxwell, and... And my buddies on the uh, Middleburg Spring Race Association were going like, uh, well, okay, you wrote a song for the Hunt Cup. Why can't you write a song for your great-grandfather's race? And I considered that, and I did it. And um, so what we do now, which I guess is this will be about the, probably the third year, is that I made up a song which is biographical to Temple Guathme, and uh, and I sing it as uh, right after the horses have been announced as they go by the the stand there at Glenwood, and uh, and then I sing them out to um, to the starting area, which is considerably to the right, as you know. So um, so that's that's been fun, and um, and I'm, I'm we'll be doing it this year. So you get another unique aspect nobody knew about the Temple Grothby, unless they happen to be standing there uh, as the post parade goes by. Uh, it's quite, it's quite good. It's quite moving. <laughs> people, people, people stop and go, "What in the world?" And then they start listening and go, "Oh my goodness, 
Yeah. All right, we're going to make cool. you sing it, or at least a verse or something here So uh, before we're done. So you can either do it now okay. or we can wait a little bit and do it, come back let's to wait, it. Let's wait. Let's wait. Can we move on to Junior? Sure. sure. I mean, obviously, the race and the Memorial Fund were for Senior. And uh, it, the race, to me, it all takes on a little more meaning because not that much long after his son, who inherited the love of steeplechasing and became a jockey, uh, was sadly killed in a fall at Monmouth County races. And right. You know whether to me the race is for both of them, and and um, again they're both both figures are kind of not that well known. They know the name, but they don't necessarily know the that side of it. And um, you know for you guys, what what extra meaning does that add to it? James Temple Guathby Jr. Uh, was born March fifth, nineteen oh nine, and he died in October of nineteen thirty two. Um, as you know, he was killed, and and Joe, you've written about this on, on the internet. He was killed at a race in, in New Jersey, and he was buried at the Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, where where a lot of our Guathmi uh, relatives, including our grandparents, uh, are buried down down there in Richmond. Um, talking to to my mother, our mother, and and our aunt this last weekend over Easter, uh, talking to the, their mother's ninety four and. And her sister is, how old is Nancy? At 90, 89, something like that. Anyhow, nine years younger. We're talking about education. She didn't know, mother didn't know um, exactly, but she suspected that the temple uh, was shipped, shipped off to uh, Switzerland to school as a little boy. Um, both of his, of his brothers... Uh, our grandfather Gaines and our uh, great uncle uh, Archie uh, were both sent off to to uh, La Rose, and uh, mother says that that uh, young Temple went to Lawrenceville School, and the the reason he went to Lawrenceville was that they had access to horses, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, so he went to Lawrenceville and he did not go to college. He he jumped right into the amateur steeplechase uh, jockey world and was tragically killed uh, at the at the young age of 21. Um, we we know that uh, he had at least two lady friends. Um, one has been alluded to earlier in our conversation, uh, Lois Duffy and Dot Parker. Ned, you might know something about her. I don't. I don't. The only thing that that uh, when when I was introduced to Lois Duffy uh, 15, 20 years ago by my mother down in Chestertown, I asked her what life was like, you know, back then. And she said, well, there were a lot of horses and a lot of booze. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to imagine. That's about it from from my angle on on uh, on Temple. He was only twenty one, so he really never. Yeah, sad, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Lo- and Lois Duffy ended up ended up a steeplechase owner, and she ended up winning the Temple Guathme as an owner fifty nine years later, and it's, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Ned, what do you got? I had. Okay, there's a a recently uh, published book called uh, by the National Sporting Library. Uh, called the Langolan Sketchbook. I'm sure you got you guys are aware of that. No, I'm not. Well, as, you, as you're probably aware, that was uh, Jock Whitney's farm, right? And I think in 1931 they had a meeting, and Paul Brown, the artist, was there, 
and he put together this, he had all these sketches, so it actually was the Langolan sketchbook, and the library uh, pieced it together and made a quite, quite a nice little booklet out of it. The reason I mention it is that there is a picture uh, or a series of pictures of Temple Guathmi taking a horrific tumble Ooh. at Langolan. And it mirrors what was to happen only a few months later. Wow. So maybe it wasn't 31, but it was, it was about the same, it was the same year. And uh, so that's uh, something of interest that's uh, just come up in the last year through the publishing of this book. Yeah, I mean, a, a life way too short, really, in the end. And and it would have, it have been, it probably would have been easy to connect all these dots if he'd have had a a, a fuller life, and you know, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd have been a jockey everybody knew, and then an owner, right. and then a race meet director, and whatever else. Mm-hmm. He, uh, interestingly enough, um, is credited with uh, helping to found the Aiken races. Hmm. Yeah, deep connections, no matter what. Um, oh yeah, yeah, oh, and yeah. and all these years later to still be going on. Uh, you you guys didn't know either one of them, but uh, you'll take turns here. What do you think they would think of all this? That uh, of steeplechasing today, of the race still going, of their of the foundation still going, and all these things, and your your involvement. Uh, I'll lead off and let Ned follow up. I I think that I think both of them, senior and junior, would be really really pleased with how things how things are going, uh, and the, the, the traditions, uh, of the steeplechase world. Uh, I don't, you know, uh, Middleburg's about the only race that, that I go to, but I hear things and talk to people. And, uh, it seems that the, the steeplechase world is, is very healthy. And I think that they would be very, very pleased. Ed. And I think that, uh, being a Virginian and then coming back to Virginia and racing, um, down there, uh, he would uh, he would be pleased that it's in Virginia now. Yeah, it, it's kind of come full circle, really, which is neat. The race has had a long history and been in all these different places, but now it just seems like it's found a permanent home in Middleburg, which is great. Uh, who's responsible for that? How did it happen? How did it end up at Glenwood Park? Well, I guess Paul Fout is given credit for uh, bringing it to the Middleburg Spring Races because of his relationship with Alfred Hunt, who was um, who was basically uh, the head of racing um, out in Rolling Rock. Yeah, it kind of lost its home, sort of. Belmont changed Mm -hmm. everything around, and and it lost its home a little bit. It went to Rolling Rock and was actually run – it was one race, but it was run in conjunction with the International Gold Cup. It was both races were a big brush race over the big brush course they had out there. And then when Rolling Rock went, went when Rolling Rock closed, then they, you know, it, it was literally without a home. So it, it kind of went. I think it went. It went back to Belmont for a couple of years, and then has been permanent. But it, it never way. skipped. It never missed a beat. No, right? which is neat to me. I mean, it's it's coming up on this will be the ninety fifth running, I think. And my math is not the best, but uh, it it went right through World War Two. The race never, you know, it 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 was never put on hiatus or put on hold or anything like that, which uh-huh. is neat to see because uh-huh. so many. Anything with that long of a history, you'd think it's going to, you know, lose something somewhere. Real testament to it. Well, we are treating 2020 as a as a big running, even though it's not the hundredth anniversary of the Guasme. It is the anniversary, the hundredth anniversary of Middleburg Spring Races. So, as you, they are planning on bumping the purse again, and uh, for at least for that one year. So um, we're hoping that um, certainly as a family, we're going to make it a big effort to bring as many of the cousins as we can and uh, would encourage 
all steeplechasers, uh, <laughs> even part time, to go to the uh, to the hundredth anniversary yeah. of the Middleburg Spring Races. Ned is absolutely correct. Everyone in our immediate family, first cousins, um, they all know it. Oh, that's and, great. And and my mother knows it, and her sister knows it, and everyone is sort of posturing, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, great to see. That's how these things keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Temple has to has to cry off here. Right. Um, I, I've enjoyed it. Uh, Charlie and Joe, uh, will, will we see you at the Temple Grothmy? Yes, definitely. Thank you very much for your time. And and we're we're not going to let you off the hook without the song here, you know. So. <laughs> what about the song? Yeah. How do how do we want to handle that? No, I'll I'll stay for your song. Do we want to do the whole song? No, I think give us give us a give us the opening verse a little and then we'll see how it goes. How's that? Right, that sounds good. Temple Gwathmi had a stable and he raced in New York. He raced them wherever. They had good sport. He was born in Virginia after the Civil War. Then he traded with the Yankees to even the score. Temple Gwathmi died a young man but we still call his name. Now back in Virginia, from whence he came. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's, Fantastic. It, it, it is wonderful as the horses are going by the stand to have this melodious voice come out. <laughs> It's really cool. I love you it. Know, yeah, you, you, you'll see it. You, yeah, you'll definitely. understand. You'll understand when you when you hear it in person. Thank you very much for your time. It was that was fun. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thanks for your time. Bye. We're not big on titles here at Jumping Around, but call our next guest, Charlie Fenwick, the podcast founder. It was all his idea. Beyond incubating startups, he's a former amateur jockey and trainer, owner of current timber star Doc Cebu, chairman of the Shawan Downs Races in Maryland, and new president of the National Steeplechase Foundation. The NSF raises money to support steeplechase racing in a variety of ways and will host a fundraiser at the National Sporting Library in Middleburg on the eve of this year's races, Friday, April 20th. We just thought it was a good time to kind of uh, check in and get a little bit of an update on the foundation. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Great to be here. How does, um, I mean, people know what the foundation is, but uh, fill us in a little bit on how this uh, Middleburg weekend uh, event is going to go and what it, what's involved. Well, every several years, the foundation has attempted to have a, a major fundraising event, uh, a major um, opportunity to tell its story. And we thought that this year, the uh, Middleburg spring races would be an appropriate time we haven't been in Middleburg uh, or in Virginia for a fundraiser for some time. And celebrating the Temple Quathme, which is the longest-running race on our circuit, uh, was the appropriate uh, uh, opportunity, we thought. Uh, so on Friday night, April 20th, thanks to Jacqueline Orstrom and the National Sporting Library, we'll have a reception and a, um, a, a, a silent auction uh, that evening, an effort to tell the story of uh, 
Temple Gwathmi and the Temple Gwathmi Steeplechase, as well as raise some funds and awareness of the uh, foundation. And it's and it, you mentioned it, funds and awareness. It's a two. It's trying to do both, right? I mean, that's important. Yes, the uh, foundation was created 20 years ago to as a 501c3 to assist the National Steeplechase Association in in various endeavors that added to the education, to the promotion, to the safety, to regulation, uh, uh, and to the amateur spirit of steeplechasing. And um, over that time period has raised close to $3 million um, that has been used in a variety of ways, all the... um, spit tests, the uh, uh, photo finish cameras, that all has been funded by the foundation. Many of the amateur races are largely funded by the foundation as well as uh, some of the split um, maiden races and a variety of other things. Uh, the, uh, a major focus over the last fev- several years has been giving opportunities to uh, young riders, um, kids, uh, a lot of the kid um uh, uh, children's races um, are uh, thanks to a, a, a terrific effort primarily by Regina Walsh who um, works with the foundation to uh, organize those events. Last weekend, uh, just sort of interesting, at Shawan, uh point to point, there were 50 um, kids, um, children, and Others participating, there was a side saddle race. Now, none of those ladies riding the side saddle race are licensed by the NSA, nor any of the kids, but there were over 50 of those participating um, that afternoon. Uh, hopefully, that augurs well for the future of, uh, of our racing. Yeah, it's an introduction. You've got to start somewhere, and, and it's probably a, not the biggest budget item, but it is kind of a key, you would think, a key component to some of this education and outreach that the, that the sport needs to do. That's, that's the key. It's, it's trying to create opportunities uh, for these kids. And I think that when you look back at what has happened over the last 20 years, you would have to conclude there have been a lot more opportunities presented to children than there were uh, back then. Yeah, that's great. And um, in, a, in, in a simple way, how can somebody get involved? So if they want to, want to support the foundation, they want to come to the Friday night event at the Sporting Library, what do they need to do? The simplest way is to go to the National Steeplechase Foundation website. Um, there's a, a tab for the fundraiser, um, and you can uh, sign up there both to come, but also probably more important for uh, a lot of people is to be able to bid uh, online. Um, there will be... Uh, 30-plus items, um, many of them horse-related, but not all, uh, pieces of art, uh, experiences uh, uh, as an owner for the day at Middleburg, uh, both spring and fall. Uh, there's a great package at uh, Callaway Gardens. There'll be an opportunity to play golf with John Frankham and have dinner with Henrietta Knight and Richard Pittman in England. Um, so there will be uh, a variety and, and uh, several significant art pieces uh, will be available. So there will be people there that evening to which this is going to be interesting, but even more so uh, anybody anywhere in the world should be able to participate in this online auction. In fact, I think sometimes people who are not there are an advantage on an online auction. Um, um, 
maybe have a little bit more flexibility. Uh, but it's uh, uh, it, it should be a, uh, an interesting evening with lots of interesting objects uh, and experiences to be uh, looked at. Yeah, and the Sporting Library is a great venue, so it's kind of an excuse, to, another excuse to go there, which uh, everybody should take advantage of. I should mention, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, the uh, exhibit of the Mellon Equestrian Art will have just started there, and so we will have an opportunity to see that also that evening, which really is as unique as anything you can imagine, I think, as far as uh, steeplechasing and racing is concerned. Yeah, it's a great collection, and uh, if you can get there, it's certainly worth it, and uh, you'll get a chance to support the foundation, see the uh, great art exhibit at the Sporting Library, and uh, have a great weekend uh, with the Temple Gwathmi the next day in Middleburg Spring Races. And um, so back to the foundation in general, where where are we now? And, uh, you know, how I know you were just become the president and um, uh, it's a big job or it's a big thing to say that we're going to raise money to support steeplechasing. But uh, are there any specific things or what do you want to try to take off on? Well, the foundation sees itself uh, going forward, uh, having two major uh, efforts. One is to raise money. Uh, Giving away money is easy. Raising money is another thing. And we have to focus ourselves on uh, being proactive and uh, 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 reaching out to people in an effort to sell what we're going to do and give people an opportunity to help participate. We want to see ourselves funding uh, opportunity, particularly with the uh, children's program, uh, growth, uh, in the sport, which is a key part of uh, what we're doing, particularly as, it, as we look at our assistance for various purses, and finally, uh, change where necessary. Uh, so I think there are uh, individual efforts, projects that uh, we would be interested in. We are, uh, uh, um, there's a, uh, an effort now to look at uh, funding of a, dis a short-term disability uh, for jockeys. That's something we should be uh, participating in. There's a, an app that's been created, being created to um, help with uh, the medical protocol that we have for jockeys on race day so that uh, those um, on the ground at the time can see uh, in real time on an app um, uh, medical history on the, the participants, that uh, we're helping fund that going forward, um, as well as uh, the traditional things we've done. And, and frankly, we're looking at other opportunities or any opportunities that fit under the umbrellas that we operate on. Um, I like to think that we have um, um, uh, a wide spectrum that we can look at and are uh, anxious to help in any way that we can and encourage people to come to us with ideas. Yeah, it's a big umbrella for sure, but uh, all worthy, like you said, it's easy to spend money and uh, uh, trying to find worthy causes is not, the, that's not the problem or areas of interest. Uh, r raising money, doing it wisely is probably the biggest, uh, the, the biggest role or the biggest target uh, for the foundation to pull off. Yes, I've been heartened by uh, the reception that we've received because uh, as we prepare for this event on the 20th, we have uh, solicited individuals to be supportive uh, 
in a, in a significant way, and I've uh, been very comforted by the response that we've got. It's, it, is, uh, it, is a, it is a wonderful sport and a wonderful group of people involved. Great. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, and um, uh, we'll see you back here another time for sure, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, the event on April 20th goes well, and um, I'm going to try to get in to uh, lo- log on and maybe bid on some art. Great. <laughs> Thank you very much. The next guest on our segment uh, of Jumping Around is Doug Fout. He is the director of the Middleburg Spring Races and a trainer and former jockey. And a welcome to the show, Doug, and how's things in Virginia? Thank you, Joe. Well, it's been a long, long, miserable, cold winter, but uh, it's been a mixture. <laughs> it's been <laughs> exciting, put it that way. And uh, spring is coming. And, and in Middleburg, the spring races in April have got to be a big rite of spring for everybody in that area. And... As the director of it, I know you've been a, a participant in it, but as the director of it, what's it like to, to, to host the races and to be responsible for it? Well, it, it, it's a, uh, I guess it's a huge benefit for the community. Um, it's a lot of stress to make sure that you put everything together and get the race meet together and get the, all the good horses to come and everything. But we've been fortunate. We've got a good group that uh, works with me, and um, we've taken the course from a, from a pretty much of a D course to an A course over the years. and and it shows it because we get all the better horses to come run there. So it's a lot of responsibility, but it's also it's uh, it's very gratifying to come as far as we have. Yeah, it's neat when you think about it. And for those who haven't been, the uh, spring races are held at Glenwood Park, which might be one of our it's certainly one of our most historic race courses. And and it's sort of uh, you go there and it feels a lot like it did in the seventies or the sixties or whenever. I I talk about it. I know I was a little kid playing on those rocks, and then my kids were playing on those rocks, and you know, uh, my grandfather was there, and now my father's there as a grandfather. So uh, that part of it is fun, and I'm sure it's for you too. It, it, there is a lot of work, but I'm sure that part of it's kind of fun. Well, the best part about it is that we've kept a tradition here. <clears throat> that's what my father has always wanted, and um, that's what we kept doing. And the fact that uh, I was the kid running on those rocks too, <laughs> and then I became a jockey. And he's able to ride there and, and then train her and train there and, and now running the whole place. So it's been pretty exciting. And that's the best part. It's been around a long time and we're looking forward to everything still getting better. Yeah. The Middleburg spring races turned a hundred years old in 2020, which is, uh, which is fun. And, and, you know, I'm sure they had plans that it was going to last that long when they started, but they certainly could have, couldn't have envisioned all this. No, not at all. And it's, to me, it's a great mix. You've got, uh, you've got, a, a, a good hurdle race with the Guathme. You've got a good timber race there, and and you know it's it's late enough in the spring where nobody's really got an excuse for their horse not being ready or anything else. And it, it's a great day of racing, which is what it was supposed to be all along. So, um, the the Guathme goes all the way back to the to the twenties at Belmont Park and Aqueduct and things like that. What same thing? What's it like to to host that race? A race with that kind of history behind it? Well, the neatest part about it is that when it was uh, run at Belmont, I wanted to run a horse uh, for uh, Miss Diamond and my dad trained Bell Diamond. And then we eventually got the race to come to our meet. And um, with the history behind it and the family that we know well and everything, it's been pretty exciting to see it uh, stand up the way it has. Yeah, you won it in 1977, I think. And yep. uh, I'm going to put you on the yep. spot. How old a guy were you in 1977? <laughs> I was uh, 17 years old. Whoa, no pressure there. <laughs> yeah, no pressure there, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, what did Dad tell you in the paddock or on the drive up? 
He told me if I didn't win the race, I was going to have to walk home. (laughs) (laughs) And for anybody with a little history, Bell Iman, his career wasn't very long, but he was a brilliant horse. What was he like to ride? Oh, he was the squirreliest horse you've ever been on in your life. He had more talent, but he could stop and wheel so fast that uh, it took you uh, both hands and both legs to squeeze and hang on for dear life. And and the interesting part about it, uh, three days before the race at the Temple Gotham, when he won it there at Belmont, we went to school him and he refused to jump the fence. I couldn't even get him over a log. Dad went back and got a buggy whip and said, hang on. And he, when he went to hit the horse, the horse stuck down and dad got me in the back instead of the horse. <laughs> and I turned around and screamed at him. I said, dad, we've already won three races in a row with this horse. I said, let's leave him alone. And we went back to the barn and three days later, he went and won the Tamaguatha and he never jumped the fence. So <laughs> just goes to show you. <laughs> just shows to go you for sure. Yeah. The horses know what they're doing. The, the people should just get out of the way. Uh, how about the race that day? Do you remember uh, how it went? Uh, I would assume you're up near the front. Absolutely. Yeah, I was up near the front and, uh, I had Dougie Small all over, all over top of me on that gray horse at Dr. Fisher's fire control. Uh And the funny part is the wind pictures, uh, all you can see is the top of my hat because I was covered up by uh, Tommy Skiffin on my left. I was in the middle and Dougie Small was pinching me on the gray horse and you can't even see Balam in the picture at all. All you can see is my head sticking up. And uh, they just they pressured and pressured, and um, he hung on and going down the backside. We finally got the lead at the last, and he pulled away going around the final turn, and he won for fun. It was no contest. So, But it was good ground that day. It was actually salt, if I remember correctly, and uh, that helped us a lot. No, and he was just a four-year-old, which uh, you know yeah. today would be unheard of. Yeah, well, he he was a little bit of a freak. You know, actually, my dad, you know, he, he kept running him on the flat of it. You know, he ran him in the Pan American down there after the Colonial Cup. And then that's when he got hurt, and, we, and uh, we sort of had a hard time getting him back, back and forth. But um, he had a lot of talent, a lot of speed. But he was a quirky French horse. That was no <laughs> doubt about that. Yeah, think all the things you learned from him, though. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Of what not to do. <laughs> yeah, and he's another example of the connections. I mean, owned by Peggy Steinman, trained by your dad, Paul Fout, and wins the Guathme, and now Miss Steinman's so involved, and you're involved, and the race is there in Middleburg, and you know everything fits together somehow, which is which is part of steeplechasing for sure. Absolutely, and the nicest part is, you know, I've been clerk of the course for a long time. My father was alive, and he was director of the Middleburg Spring Races. And then when he passed away, I ended up inheriting the whole thing. Which has been good, but it, the nicest part is it's been in the family for so long, and that makes it pretty special. Yeah, what's uh, what's special for you? So, say a spectator's coming for the first time, what should they what should they do? Where should they be for the day at the races? <clears throat> well, the nicest part about the Middleburg Spring Races, no matter what spot you buy, from the best to the least to the worst, you can absolutely see the whole race course, every horse run, and every inch of the place. So, the the biggest nicest thing about the Middleburg Spring Races is it. It's a tailgating all over the place, and you can walk around anywhere and be a part of it. You can walk right up next to the paddock and walk down to the barns. You know, you, can, you feel like you're a part of a big fair and a part of everything that's going on, and that's what makes it keeps it so special, and that's what the tradition's all about. Yeah, that's great, and that hasn't changed since since day one, whether you're there in the spring, the fall, for a point-to-point, whatever. It's the same feel, and, and that's, that's a cool tribute to the place and, and for you all for, for sticking with it and, and creating an event like that. Well, thank you. That, that's been the whole goal, and that's, you know, as long as I'm there, that's the way it's going to stay. <laughs> and you talked about uh, some of the course improvements. I mean, that's probably a big part of it too, right? I mean, the turf and, and the ground that's improved there. Oh, my goodness. Yes, so we uh, – 
about uh, 15 years ago, a uh, nice lady gave my father a bunch of money and we put an irrigation system in there and uh, we dug three wells and we started pumping. I started pumping water out on the race course and two days later, I get a call from Dot Smithwick telling me that I've uh, drained all her streams out and, everything. <laughs> and her cows, she had 300 head of cows and they weren't getting any water. So of course I had to stop pumping. No more irrigation system was allowed to be used over there because it just there's not enough water there. And, and we sold the irrigation system to Green Meadows. So we had to figure another way to make the turf better. And we got a turf man came in and he, uh, we bought a huge, massive aerator and a Cambridge roller and he showed us the proper way to do things. And um, it took about 10, 10, 11 years to uh, learn how to do it properly. And we've come a long ways. And um, that is what's uh, changed the course. And also, to be honest with you, keeping people from coming in and working their horses on it, schooling like my wonderful next door neighbor, the Smithwicks, used to do. <laughs> so we uh, we uh, were able to shut all that off. And over the years, it just it took care of itself and, and uh, it made a big difference. And you know, I have a great man, Brian Pope, that uh, lives and breathes Glenwood, and he's there seven days a week taking care of that course, and that's made a huge difference. No, and you can tell. I mean, it, it, it's certainly improved, and it, it can't be easy because it's sort of got it's got uphill, downhill. It's got a little rocks in the middle of it. I mean, it's it's oh certainly tricky, tricky land. Put it that way. It's tricky land, and every year we've been digging out more rocks and adding more stuff and doing a little bit different uh, the way we irrigate and seed and, and fertilize and spray it. So it's, it's just taking time. That's the biggest thing. And we are, we're still working on it and still improving it. So it's made a big difference. Yeah, that's great. And uh, and you touched on it briefly. It's coming up. Uh, the spring races will turn 100 years old in two years. And do you have any yes. special, you got some special stuff planned for that and to try to, yes. to celebrate? Yeah, we're going to try the, the big race. We're hoping to make 100 grand. And I'm hoping to make a couple of the other races 50 grand. And we're going to have a huge party the night before with a dance and party and everybody and have a festival weekend and, and try to make it real special. So that's our goal. That's great. It deserves it. And, uh, yeah, we were talking to uh, uh, Temple Grassy and Ned Grassy, Temple Guathamie's great-grandsons earlier. And, uh, again, just the connection of the family and the race, and, and, and it all comes together on that day, which is fun. Yeah, it's made it. It's made it's wonderful, and, and he's a wonderful singer, so he's singing again today, <laughs> our, uh, the day of the races for us. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, so they've been a lot of fun. Yeah, he gave us a little happy. taste of the song, and that was the first I'd heard of it, which was fun. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's something else. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, I'm sure your dad would have loved that, too. So, uh, oh, uh, my goodness. Great. Yes, he would. I, I wish he was still around to see it. That's cool. Well, thanks for your time, and uh, we look forward to it. And uh, everybody uh, should head to Middleburg on April 21st and uh, get a taste of the Middleburg Spring Races. Great. We'll see you at the races. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another edition of Jumping Around. And special thanks to our guests, Ned and Temple Grassy, Charlie Fenwick, and Doug Fout. To learn more about the events of April 20th and 21st in Middleburg, see nationalsteeplechasefoundation.org and middleburgspringraces.com. Jumping Around is a production of thisishorseracing.com, home of original content about thoroughbred racing from the steeplechase circuit, Saratoga, Fairhill, and beyond. You can subscribe to our products via the podcast app on your phone or tablet by searching This Is Horse Racing. This edition was recorded and produced at Howling Wolf Recording Studio in Baltimore, Maryland. Special thanks to our sponsors, Brown Advisory and the Maryland Horse Industry Board.